Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. Well, it's my privilege to introduce uh, our guest today who maybe doesn't need an introduction for many of us, but as a reminder or a refresher, and then certainly as an introduction to those of you who are new to our church in the last year or so, we're so blessed to have Brent Cantillon with us to speak today. And Brent is a champion of missions. He's a champion of church planting. He's a champion of reaching souls in Canada and around the world. He's pastored, he's served for decades, and uh, perhaps the thing that I'm most proud of is that I get to call him father, father-in-law. This is my father-in-law, Brent, and uh, as proud of, of him as I am for all of his ministry accomplishments, uh, and I probably say this every time I try, I try to introduce him, is uh, I'm just so thankful for his example as dad and as husband. And uh, you can find a lot of wonderful people in ministry all over our world, but when you see somebody who can love their spouse and love their children and grandchildren, that's something worth following. And so I wonder if you would join me today in honoring and welcoming our speaker, Brent Cantillon. Good morning, everybody. So good to be in beautiful, beautiful... Comox again. We uh, we came in yesterday afternoon. We we got an earlier ferry that than we expected, so we took the scenic route up from the Nimo along the what's that road called the the old old island highway, and uh, you know in keeping with sort of the demographic of Qualicum Beach, we actually had a nap along the way. <laughs> 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 yeah, we had gotten up in f- at 4 a.m. We were in Calgary in the morning, and so, anyway, so, so beautiful. Uh, but w- we tend to have naps regularly anyway, so as my grandson would say, uh, Lyndon said to me the other day, he says, yeah, Grandpa, you're, you're done, you're finished. Because <laughs> she had said, Karina had said, well, oh, Grandpa, Pop- Papa can do that, and he's like, oh, no, he can't do that, you're done, you're done. He has like three-hour naps all the time. He's like, you know, I may have just come back from India or something like that, you know, as an excuse. But anyway, it was so, so beautiful. And uh, you, you may not know it. I, I'm blessed to be able to travel all across Canada and speak in churches. I think in the last uh, seven, eight years, I've spoken in 80 different Canadian churches uh, across the land. And uh, so I see a lot of the country and you live, honestly, folks, in one of the most beautiful places, not only in Canada, but on the planet. So I hope as you look at the ocean and the trees and the mountains and everything, you thank God for his majestic, creative beauty and that you get to live here. It's truly a blessing. Uh, I'm so happy today to have my first and only wife with me. Uh, and. Uh, we, uh, we've been married a very long time. You can tell by the age of my daughter, Laura, that... Uh... Well, you're fairly old. I mean, you know... Really... <laughs> Karina and I, um, we met... 
she was 12 years old, I was 14, and my dad was the pastor of the church, and uh, we've been pretty much together all of our lives, so it's a wonderful, wonderful blessing. So stand up, my love, I won't make you come up and share words, but say hi to Karina, everybody, would you do that? Uh, I brought two books, I've been able to write a couple of books over the last number of years, um, just because of a desire to help people. So I'm only going to speak about them briefly, but I know that there are some people here today, and if you were to pick up one of these books, it would help you. And uh, I mean, hopefully the sermon's going to be fantastic, and you'll remember every point uh, by the time you get out into the lobby. Uh, but if you pick up a book, it's something you can take with you, and it'll be a blessing. The first one uh, is to help you with your Bible reading. It's called Revive Me. I know that in every place I go, there are people sitting in the audience who just in the last while have thought the thought, I need to get back into my Bible. And I would say, especially I see a ton of young adults here this morning, uh, and I have such a heart for you, uh, to pick up your copy of the Bible and actually read the scriptures for yourself and have God's word speak to you uh, is absolutely critical in this time because the voices on social media and everywhere else are so loud. You have to have God's word get into your heart to stay on track. So uh, this book is as a simple help. It takes about three and a half chapters a day. Uh, and if you follow it, you'll work your way through the whole of the scripture. I help you uh, and uh, try and, and keep things moving so that you don't get bogged down uh, in Leviticus determining what to do with birds and things. So uh, I'd love to, to have you get one of those books and start. I, I, regularly, I'll have somebody and they'll say, well, the area of my life I want to grow in is my Bible reading. So if it, it's the main thing of my walk with God is the scripture. So uh, that book's available this morning. Second book that I wrote is for your spiritual renewal. COVID has had an impact on so many people. And maybe you're just coming back to church. Maybe you're still online and you're thinking, man, when, when am I going to be able to uh, be renewed in my spirit? I think the Encounter with God weekend is an amazing way to do that. We've been doing these encounters, I don't know, for 20 years almost. And they just are transformational. So don't miss that. But this book is to help with that renewed passion for God. Maybe you remember a season where you were really on fire for God. You remember a season where the Lord seemed so close, and that's not where you're at, and you want to get back to that place. I'd love to help you with that. The second half of the book is all about a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And maybe you have heard about the Holy Spirit, but you don't quite know who he is and how he relates to your life as a believer. So uh, Karina, will be, we're right by the, the back doors. Uh, we'd love to meet you. I'll be there. If you'd like, I'll write something in your book. And uh, they're $20 each. It's a better deal than the book Mike was talking about. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, it's... Um, and we, we do have to let you know that it costs money because I have been in churches where I didn't say that and people started with just walking out with a book. Oh, great speaker, giving away books. It's fantastic. Yeah, so, yeah. I'd love to meet you. <laughs> Not that guy, I mean you. <laughs> You've been in a series of messages uh, talking about what is important and what is valuable. Today we're going to talk about 
the value of souls. And I want to start by asking you a question, which we could probably get as many answers as there are people in the room. What's valuable to you? What is valuable to you? There are so many different things now that are of value. Some people, uh, the things that they value just <laughs> seem so strange, don't they? Uh, I was with a pastor in Ontario, and he values Jeeps. Uh, and uh, he loves those Jeeps, I'm telling you. And he said, uh, have I showed you my Jeep room yet? I said, no, no, you haven't. He has an entire room in his basement that is completely done up, like with Jeep little toys and Jeep signs and just like everything. He's got Jeep t-shirts and he's got five Jeeps himself. Like he values Jeeps. I, I, I don't so much, you know, never had one. I'm sure they're great for those of you who do have them. What do you value? Like the, the things that are valuable these days, I don't, boy, I hate saying stuff like this, but I don't get uh, Bitcoin or NFTs or, I get the NHL, but, um, <laughs> but some of these new things that have value, I, I'm, I'm having some, I need somebody to help me after the service and just give me a quick walkthrough of what it means. But they're valuable. Guys are making billions of dollars off these things. Do you know originally the currencies that were used in world finance or nation finances, some of the earliest designations for money were actually shells that they would trade for vegetables and things like shells. So you're surrounded by a lot of money. You should try that because there's a few shells. I went by Fanny Bay. There were piles of oyster shells. I'm thinking, think of the money that I could... We don't use it so much these days. Another thing that was, was really big for a while were cocoa beans. Uh, and uh, people would carry around a little pouch full of cocoa beans. Uh, you know, that's something you could try uh, as well. The first real um, designation of the dollar, it was spelled D-A-L-E-R at that point, was in 1644, and it was the government of Sweden that began, because we have Swedish ancestors. Karina was born and raised in Sweden. Mike's parents are Swedish. Uh, my five-year-old granddaughter the other day asked Karina, she said, Cece, they call her Cece, she said, Cece, do we have Viking in our ancestry? Karina said, yeah, we do. She's like, yes. She's about this high, little Viking, you know, going to school. And, uh, but Sweden, when they started calling things dollars, they were printing copper sheets. Uh, they were plates, copper plates. Uh, the smallest dollar uh, weighed four pounds. It was a copper sheet. The biggest one that they printed, which was money, weighed 44 pounds. Yeah, so you had to have a hefty wallet in those days. And there were a significant number of back injuries for people going grocery shopping. It was, it was terrible. But anyway, uh, they thought it was impractical, and they were the first to start exchanging pieces of paper for these 44 pounds of copper weights. So that's how it all started. What do you value? People value cars. They value antiques, art, experiences, relationships, shoes. It's amazing. Today I want to talk to you about souls and whether or not we value souls the way God values souls. 
Do we see people and their ever-living beings with the same eyes of value that God does? Because the scripture teaches us that God values every living, breathing person. In the fall of 2021, the census tells us that there were 7.9 billion people on the planet. I looked up this morning on the Google and uh, said that Comox had a population of 14,810. So that must be just the city of Comox, right? The whole Comox Valley has a population in 2021 of 66,527. God values every single one of those people. You might not. The person who cut you off in traffic the other day, you might not value them much, but God does. So let me take a couple of minutes just to establish the thought and then try and bring application for you. The first thought is, how did God establish the value of humankind? And he established our value at creation. And this is critical. Young adults, young people in the room, this is absolutely a critical point for the establishment of our worldview that God created in the beginning, that it was his initiative, that he started all of this in motion. On day six of the creation story, it says, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, referring to the Trinitarian presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let, us, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God established the value of human beings when he created us in his own image, in the image of God. In chapter 1, verse 27, uh, 2, verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and here it is, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And man, in the scripture, in these terms, always refers to mankind, humankind. God breathed life into the human being, Adam, and he became a living, another translation says, a living soul. The fact that we were created in God's image, that he gives us life, establishes the intrinsic value of humankind. It's who God made us to be. We have value. The second most important place that establishes the value of a soul is at the cross where Jesus came and died in our place to pay the price for our sins. And it's so well known, this verse, but it says it probably the most succinctly of any verse in the Bible. So I want you to, to read it with me. John 3, 16, you maybe don't even have to look at the screen, but maybe, maybe you've never memorized this verse. This is what it talks about, the value of every single human life. Let's read it together, everybody. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In Romans chapter 1, 
The Apostle Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. And then later in 10 verse 13, it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Bible is wonderfully inclusive of all people everyone, that whoever would believe would be saved, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. The value of a soul is established, secondly, at the cross. The value of a soul is established by the eternity of a soul. We're taught in the scripture that the spirit, the soul of a person, never dies, never ceases to exist. And this is so important. There's a whole lot of uh, teaching around on the internet and places that says, no, when man dies, that's just it. It's over. So have a good time while you live. The scripture doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches us that the soul, the essence, the person that you are, once you physically pass from this life, continues to exist, exist in consciousness, exist in one of two destinations. Jesus was on the cross and there were two thieves beside him. One of them repented. Jesus said to that thief who repented, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. There's just so much in that. There would be consciousness. There would be awareness of other persons and it would be a paradise because that person had repented. The scripture teaches us that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And that everyone who is alive today will either find themselves in that new heaven for all eternity or in a place of eternal punishment that Jesus calls hell. Revelation 21 verse 4 tells us about heaven. That it's going to be a place where God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, no crying. There'll be no more pain, and the former things will have passed away. This eternity lasts forever, friends, and we, we just can't comprehend forever. But that's what the Bible teaches us, that there will never be an end to this place. Listen to Revelation 21, verse 6. Jesus speaks to the apostle John, who's writing, and he says, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end. I will give the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son, my daughter. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Every soul lives forever, friends. The urgency of the message of the cross and of Christ and of the gospel is scriptures like this. So today we're trying to keep the main thing the main thing as we discuss, as we study the scripture, what is, what is the value of one soul, one life. I love the parables of Jesus, and I think in those parables we get probably the best picture of the heart of God. I want to quickly just summarize a number of parables from Jesus' teaching about the value of, of a soul and the value that God puts upon a soul. 
Pastor Mike was saying that we need as a church to keep our eyes on Jesus as we go. This morning, I want to ask you the question, what does God have his eyes on as he looks at our world? What does God see? What is he looking at? Jesus tells a parable of a master, a king who holds a great banquet. And he sends out invitations, but the room isn't full. So he says to his servant, go out quickly into the lanes and the highways and bring in whoever you can. And so the servant comes back and says, I've done what you said. I've done what you asked me to do, and there's still room. And the master says this, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That's the heart of God, that his house would be filled, his heavenly home. I know one of our great joys in life, Karina and myself, is when our house is filled with our family. It's one of the best things for short periods of time. Because <laughs> there's just too many of them, honestly, right? I, but uh, for short, like this summer we had three of our kids and their kids uh, for one afternoon, like from four o'clock to eight o'clock. That's all we could manage. We couldn't get all four together. And it was great. And uh, we loved it so much. We love having our house full. That's the heart of God. Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks about the parable of the lost sheep. You know the story. If you've read your Bible, you know that he tells this story of a shepherd who has 100 sheep, and 99 of them are safe, and one of them is lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 that are safe and goes out to find the one that was lost. And here's what I want you to notice. This is, this is Jesus applying. This is not a story about sheep. <laughs> It's a story about souls. And then Jesus says this, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy, more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. More joy in heaven over one who comes to faith than, than the joy that the angels would have over all of us who've been in church for 20 years. It's great. Your, your joy quotient happened when you came to Jesus. Then he tells a story about a lady who lost a coin. And she searches for the coin and she calls her friends. Have you seen my, my coins? And they're like, no. And she dusts the corners and puts a lamp under the bed. And finally when she finds it, it says, oh, she rejoices so much. And she calls her friends and says, celebrate with me. I found the coin that was lost. And then Jesus says this. Here's the application again. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over how many people? How many? Over one sinner who repents. Jesus is emphasizing the value of one soul and then he tells maybe the most famous parable in the Bible, the parable of the prodigal son. And you, you, the, the son takes his inheritance. He goes it away. He blows it on wild living. He comes back. He smells like animals. And he's dirty. And he says, I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father embraces him, puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, a robe that indicates taking on the robe of the righteousness of Christ and says, this my son who was lost has been found. He was dead and he's alive. It's just great. 
And the older brother in the story who represents the religious aristocracy gets angry and is offended and won't come to the party. And the father says this, for this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. And then the father says, in the voice of, the God, of God Almighty, it was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's the heart. It's the heart of God for one soul, one boy, one person. The heart of God. What does God see when he looks today at the gorgeous Comox Valley? Does he see the rivers and you know, the things. Maybe, maybe he notices his handiwork. I think he's just seeing people, humans, souls. I think he's seeing tear-stained faces this morning, waking up, finding out that what they thought would make them happy last night didn't. I think he's seeing families that are breaking up and homes that are in turmoil and strife and people that are asking questions that they don't have answers to. I'm pretty sure that's what God sees here today in this valley. That's his heart. That's why he gave his most precious possession, his only son, to pay the price so that we could have a relationship with him. I speak a lot of places and a lot of times, and so if you've heard this story before, forgive me, uh, but I, I, I love to tell it anyway, so, you know. Even if you don't forgive me, I'm telling it anyway. You know, that's what old people do. Have I told you this before? I have. Well, I'll tell it again anyway. Um, when our son Sam was about four years old, Laura's younger brother, Sam, about four, uh, he, we got him some new sandals in the summertime, and he concluded that the sandals made him a fast runner. If you ever meet him, please don't tell him I said this, but he was not a fast runner. But in his mind, he's, you know, he's a little chunky guy, he was so sweet. And I'd say to him, Sam, can you run for me? And it was like pushing a button. I think he'd seen it on a cartoon, you know? And so he would put his leg up like this, and then he would take off and he would make a sound effect. And he'd run off into wherever. And I think in his head there was a little cloud of dust like this, you know? So I'd say, Sam, can you run for me? And he'd take off and run as far as he could. He was out of breath, you know, a little guy. So anyway, that was his thing. Board members at the church would do it on Sundays. I'd see Sam off down the aisle because a board member pushed the button. So anyway, we're, uh, as a family, we did a road trip to Edmonton, to, uh, to the West Edmonton Mall. Our, <laughs> our children accuse us of being bad parents. We never did anything as kids, you know. Uh, but we did, we did a lot of stuff that they just don't remember. And it was, it was great. Uh, so we went to the West Edmonton Mall. We're all there. Karina and myself, four kids. Sam's the youngest. And uh, we're looking at clothing or whatever. And I turn around and Sam is gone. And it's a big mall. It's, it's crazy big. There's a lot of stuff, a lot of places, a lot of people. And so we experienced every parent's worst nightmare. <laughs> You're missing one of your kids. And we don't know where he is. Maybe somebody pushed the button, he was gone. And so we start that frantic searching, calling, Sam, Samuel, where are you? <laughs> and he didn't answer, I'm here, Lord. You know, he didn't, it was, there was nothing. Karina is weeping, you know, which is no help at all, really, actually. You know, 
and, and uh, I'm going you know, into stores. He's about this high. He might be running, make maybe a sound effect. Have you, you know? So I go into the security office. We've lost our son. You know, can you help us find him? He's like, well, I don't know. You know. So, anyway, um, so uh, we're frantic. After a while, we find Samuel walking toward us with the security guard, and he's very happy and had a big blue friend. You know, it was going great for him. And so uh, after we dismissed the security guard and we'd hugged and everyone was good, I took him around behind a post and said, if you ever do that again, I'm going to you. Okay, so if there's any judgment in the room, I know what you've done in the parking lot of Walmart after your kid has misbehaved. We, we had a, so anyway, we're all, you know, we're in this together. So anyway, I shared and, and we had a great time. So my heart was full. What, what kind of a father would I be if instead of those reactions, I would have walked into the security guard and been a typical Canadian? Excuse me, sir. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry to bother you, but, uh, but we've, I don't know how it happened, misplaced one of our kids. <laughs> I just had him a minute ago. Can you believe it? He's gone. I don't know. Uh, he's a good guy. He's a good kid. We love him. Um, We'd like to find him. We'd prefer that, but I see you're very busy. I see it's your lunch break, Subway. I love that. Uh, and uh, do you think you could help us find him? I know it's inconvenient. But you know what? If we don't find him, it's really fine because we have three other good kids. <laughs> you know, we got 75% of the crew together, and really it's probably too much to ask. So sorry to bother you. You'd think you're nuts, you've lost your mind. We want all of our children together. The heart of God is that all of his created beings would be found and not lost. That they would all fill his house and not be on the outside. That's the heart of God. So the next question is, who is lost then? Who did Jesus go after? Well, he went after children. He welcomed them, he loved them. He valued children. The disciples didn't. Jesus did. He valued women. He reached out to widows. He reached out to immoral women that men weren't supposed to talk to. The woman at the well. He reached out to the woman caught in adultery. The woman who anointed his feet with the fragrant perfume. He spent time teaching women. Jesus elevates the place of women in that society more than anywhere else. He allowed businesswomen to support his ministry. Jesus took time for children, for women. He spent time with beggars. In that culture, if you were a beggar, it was assumed that you had sinned and you were paying the penalty for your sins. He talked to lepers. Nobody talked to lepers because they were worried about them being contagious. He talked to Samaritans, to people of other races, other colors, other cultures. Jesus talked to thieves and to criminals. He called Matthew and Zacchaeus, both of whom were despised as dishonest men. He talked to the elite, to Nicodemus, who was a teacher. He talked to Paul, Saul, and revealed himself to him, a teacher of the law who was persecuting the church. He talked to those in Caesar's household. Romans 10 verse 13 says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All are welcome, people. All are valued by God. He created the spark of life and consciousness in every human being. The spirit is eternal. The part of us that is most in God's image, every human spirit, will never die. 
It's precious. It's eternal. The blood that Jesus shed for your sins and mine was shed for the highest in the world and the lowest. For the supposedly greatest, for the influencer with 10 million followers, to the person who wants to be an influencer and can't get one. He died for every one of them. A soul is a soul is a soul. No soul is better than the next. He talked to kids like me when I was four years old. I remember bowing on my knees beside my grandma Lewis and praying a prayer. Four years old, I somehow sensed the spirit of the Lord. A few years ago, Youth Alpha released a new course and that fall in Canada, 5,250 Canadian teenagers responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That year, Youth Alpha alone would have been seen by over 500,000 teenagers. He values teenagers. He values young men and women. He values drug addicts and alcoholics. One of our best friends as a family is a guy named Pete Popoff. He lived on the streets until he was about 47. He started in his late teens. He was burned out. He was messed up. He was an alcoholic. Somehow he found his way to our church. He'd come in. He'd be all beat up and dirty and smelly and disruptive. And somehow found Jesus. Found his way into our family's home. And Pete went through all kinds of struggles and journeys. And uh, we had a PAOC conference in Victoria one year. He was on the streets of Victoria. I was out on the lunch break and I met a couple of pastor friends and uh, <laughs> they said to me, hey, we met a friend of yours. I said, really? Yeah. His name was Pete. I said, oh, great. So he came up to us. He was panhandling and, you know, trying to get some money and, and we were dre- they were dressed in suits in those times and he says, hey, he called us Pazers. It was P-A-Z-Z-U-R. Not pastors, pazers. Hey, are you guys pazers? And they said, yeah, we're, we're pastors. He said, Do you know my friend, Pazer Brent? They said, well, actually, yeah, he's, he's leading worship with the choir. Best damn pastor in Canada. <laughs> it's one of the recommendations on the back of my book, I'm saying. No. Pete came back from that conference with me in my car and he dried out in a hotel he struggled went up and down tried to commit suicide by taking on the police with a BB gun so that they would think it was a real gun and that way he could die he kept on living (laughs) and he's alive today he's been married to a beautiful Christian lady. He's been clean and sober for over 10 years. And most Easters, most of the time on my birthday, I get a phone call. Pastor Brent, Pete. How you doing, man? I'm good, Pete. How are you? Yeah, good. I'm good. Good. Just coming out of church, was thinking about you. I love you. Love your family. And then he names all the kids. I love Ben, Laura, Rachel, Sam. Love you. You're my family. You're my family. Does God value the guys on your street today that look like they're absolutely hopeless burnouts? Sure he does. 
He only knows their potential. Another friend of mine, when he came to Jesus, was making huge amounts of money and woke up one morning struggling with his health, literally said the words, is this all there is? Came to Jesus, cried his way into the kingdom of God, and now as a result of how God's blessed his business, has literally given millions of dollars to spread the word of God around the world. Maybe you would have looked at that guy driving, chauffeured around in his fancy car and thought, yeah, well, you know, he's good. No, he wasn't. He didn't know Jesus. He was hopeless. God values every single one of them, friends. Young moms, young dads in your preschoolers class. Students, that person that sits beside you in biology. He values that person. Guys on your job sites. Ladies, whatever you do where you bump into other people, in your family, he values every single one of them. Jesus said this in John chapter 4. He said, you know the saying, there are four months between planting and harvest, but I say wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy! awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. I want to say, based on the scripture, based on the word of God, and based on a lifetime of experience, I don't know that there's any greater joy in this life, lasting joy, than seeing people find faith in Jesus Christ. We found an old copy of some music that I made when I was 20 years old. And we've been listening to it. My grandkids are laughing. I was a rock star at that point in life. Uh, not many people know. I don't talk about it much. But, uh, uh, but the thing that, that struck me apart from, you know, the interest of the musical genres and where we were at 40 years ago is that the heart that we had as young men was to reach lost people for Christ. And that's how we've lived our whole life. And as I travel, I meet people all across Canada. And they'll come up and they'll say, hey, I came to Jesus. I was just in Winnipeg a couple of weeks ago. And a young woman who was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor came up. And she's like, Pastor Brent, those were the best days of my walk with God. I meet people who, I met a lady who sat up at the very top of the balcony in one of our Sunday night revival services. She got dragged there by a friend. She didn't want to come. She didn't want to be there, but the friend, I think, had offered to give her money or food or something, and she came. And at the end of the service, she met Jesus, came to the front. When I met her, was at a pastor's conference, sitting at a lunch table. She was now a pastor on staff at a church. She said, I came to Jesus that night. Thank you for giving me that opportunity. It's the greatest joy, folks. It's the greatest joy. And what your church and your pastors want you to do is to have a part of that joy in the vision for this city that values every soul. And I'm here to try and just challenge you to lean into that vision. Don't sit back and just watch. 
My mom, my mom, my mom is 88 years old. She's a sweetheart. And uh, I walked into her. She lives with us. I went into her suite one day, and, and she had an exercise, like, a video on. You know, probably Jane Fonda or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was a few years ago. That's what I'm saying. Um, and I said, oh, mom, you're, you're exercising. That's fantastic. She's like, no, I just like to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you are like that, right? Yeah, put on a good exercise video and sit down and have a bowl of ice cream. Just watching them give burns calories. The kingdom of God is much better if you actually engage, if you lean in, if you participate. You say, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do the other thing. Yeah, but you can do something. You can contribute in some way. You can help. You can be on the teams here at the church. When somebody, we, we were at a church's 10-year anniversary on Friday night, and they had a testimony. This guy was part of their mobile. They were mobile. They had to set up every Sunday. And this guy, with tears in his eyes on the video, said, I know that when I put up that chair, it could be that somebody sits in it who gives their heart to Jesus. And then he said, I just think, what if I hadn't put up that chair? They would have had no place to sit. They might not have come to Jesus. Can you see how it all fits? When you look after babies in the nursery and give moms and dads the chance to sit and hear the gospel, you're contributing to those people coming to Jesus. When you help with food distribution, when you spread the love of Christ, when you get involved in the vision of a church that has a heart to reach lost people, you get to share in that joy. And so my message to you today is God values souls above all else. The church ought to value the same thing above all else. We can do a lot of good things, but fundamentally we're here to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Take the gospel, the Bible, Matthew 28, Jesus says, take the gospel to all nations and tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. Every soul matters to God. So people, lean in. If you've been sitting back, lean forward. If you've been waiting, don't wait any longer. If you have questions, what can I do? I don't know where I can contribute. Talk to your pastoral team. Say, I want to help. What can I do? Whatever your resources are, there are businessmen in the room, and God's gifted you with the gift of earning money. I've got some business friends, and it just seems like it, they just can't help it. Everything they touch seems to prosper. That's the gift of giving God has given you. Transfer that into multiplied souls who come to faith in Christ. God puts us all in place to do his work, which is to reach one for Christ. When we see the word everyone, I want to separate it today so that it says every and then one, that we would reach that one. Before I close this morning, worship team, you can come back. It, it could be that today you're in this place or you're online and that this is the day that you make the decision that you're going to take care of your soul. Maybe you haven't been thinking how valuable your soul is, but today you can make that decision and I'd love to help you. Those of you who are watching online, please, please stay with me because you can join in this prayer as well. 
We, we are all good at caring for our health, caring for finances, caring for the groceries, clothing. Maybe we even care for others. God cares about your soul, and your soul is eternal. And the way to a relationship with God is through a simple act of faith, and we, we know it as prayer. Does it mean that today you have all of your questions answered? Does it mean that all of the uncertainties you have might, might have gone away? It, it just means you're willing to take a first step. You're willing to begin a relationship with God. Jesus was speaking to a woman one time and he said these words, John 11. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then he says her name. He says, do you believe this, Martha? I want to ask that to everybody in this room and I want you to put your name in there. Like Jesus is saying to me, do you believe this, Brent? I'd say, yeah, I do. He's asking every person, everyone online. He says, if you believe in him, you'll live forever, even after dying. Do you believe this? Put your name there. Do you believe this? Put your name there. Today could be your day to begin a relationship of the transformation of your spiritual life. And I'd love to help you. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Here's what we're going to do. In just a moment, if you would like to pray a prayer that I'm going to help you with, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward today. There's nothing wrong with that. We're just not going to do that today. I'm going to ask you to do two things. One, in a moment, if you'd like to pray to receive Jesus today, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand up in a moment. And second thing I'll ask you to do is just to say a prayer with me. And that prayer is an indication of your step of faith. So all over this room, from the balcony and the main floor, those of you online, if today you would be willing to choose to believe by saying a simple prayer as a starting point. I'd ask you right now, I say, yes, I want to be included. I want to pray that prayer, Pastor. Today's my day to care for my soul. I'd like to join that prayer. Would you just lift your hand up wherever you are? Say, yeah, include me in that prayer. Is there someone here? And say, yes, today I want to care for my soul. Let me look up in the balcony. Yes, sir. God bless you. See you way up there. Thank you, Lord. Yes, sir. Way at the back. See you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for men. Thank you. God bless you. A couple together over here. Is there someone else? Yeah. Thank you, God. So those of you who lifted your hands, I saw four. There might have been a lot more. Those of you who lifted your hands, would you pray with me this prayer? I'll give you the words. Just repeat it after me. And all of CPC, would you pray along with me just to encourage these friends? And then one of the team will give you instructions for what's next for you. But this is a first step. So sir over here, sir back there. Right over here. 
Let's pray together. Are you ready, everybody? Here's the prayer. Lord Jesus, today I give you my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for caring for my soul. Forgive all of my sins and come into my heart. I welcome you. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Help me to walk with you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Could we just give applause to God and for these people who are making such an important decision today? Thank you, Lord. Why don't we stand, everybody? Those of you who made that decision, Pastor Mike, will you tell them what, what's available for them? We love you so much. We're going to sing a song, worship together, and uh, Karina and I will love to meet you in the lobby afterwards. God bless you. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.